Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Playing With Myself on the Internet. This is Rainy, excited to start another session of Colossal, following Marco, Berger, and Alice as they are traversing the canyon lands on the other side of the crackways and the wall that we have been exploring and discovering uh, through this solo gameplay series. I'm still not entirely sure how many episodes this is going to go. This is episode 6. I'm thinking... Let's aim for 10 for the first series. Maybe we'll go all the way up to 13 if there are some unresolved, interesting pieces of the story that I really think deserve to be resolved. And then that way we can move forward to the next game in the solo play series of playing with myself and kind of play it by ear from there. I do want to say that with the return of Modified Roles coming up and our stream continuing to go on and... What's going to be coming up in 2023 is our first longer form stream in Christian's RuneQuest game. I'm not sure how we're going to be scheduling the releases, so it may be that we start a second podcast feed for playing with myself, or we may have a second feed for all of the RPG discussion things. We're going to be meeting to talk about this stuff soon. So, you know, full transparency for all of you listeners, we're still trying to figure out how it is we're going to be trying to offer more content as we continue in this incredible endeavor that's been so fun so far. But we'll worry about that when we get there, and we will be sure to tell you all our plans and how we're going about that when we decide. Till then, let's go to a recap and talk about what's been going on in Colossal. Last time. Marco, Berger, and Alice made their way up the plateau, on which there was a lake, a reservoir that is the headwaters for the all-important rivers that wind their way through these dry desert canyon lands. In the middle of that lake, that reservoir, was an island, and on that island was known to be a dangerous rook that the Hunter's Guild had multiple times tried to assign hunters to go and deal with it. It wasn't until Marco, Alice, and Berger took on this quest that they finally managed to quell this threat. Now, what I imagined was going to be a very difficult battle ended up going incredibly well in our favor. The cards were flipping and everything was coming up Team Marco. We managed to break its opposable arm that it used to throw rocks at hunters that had previously come to engage the rook. We used Berger's ice magic to kind of wall it in and stop it from throwing anybody off of the plateau, and Alice, in her typical desperate-for-adventure, very confident style, launched her grappling hook rope arm and managed to get inside of this massive flying rook and take it down from the inside through sheer brute force. The session ended with our party inside of this rook, which had crashed and kind of come to a halt, half submerged in the edge of the reservoir, and Marco, Berger, and Alice had been studying the insides, how it works, the runes, the different things that are going on, the mechanisms, the cogs, etc., and the group weren't sure whether or not they would be able to potentially, in the future, turn this into a rook home, a 
neutralized rook that could be reprogrammed and worked with through the rook crystal magic and knowledge shared by the people of the Roomlands to actually, potentially, give Marco, Berger, and Alice a flying rook within which they could travel the Roomlands. That would be really, really awesome. I'm not sure how likely it's going to be, but we do have two treasures waiting for us back at the Hunter's Guild in Rust Gorge, which we may be able to barter for some services. We'll see. I think we rejoin our party as they are exiting this neutralized rook that is now sitting on the shores of this reservoir. One thing that our group didn't do is fix the dam that has kind of caused lower water levels, but I think that that's going to be something that can be done by the Hunter's Guild when we tell them that there's no longer a threat up here. So we see Marco, Berger, and Alice. Marco now much more comfortable in the helm that was taken from the bandit leader in the Canyonlands in the desert. And Alice, who has her rope grappling hook weapon on her back, her arm, her character class, but she also now has a a hand that she can use that was previously part of this rook that was used to throw those boulders. We're just going to have to, I think we're going to, she's going to stash it somewhere on the shores, like in a scrub kind of brush area where she knows she can retrieve it when we are on our way back to Rust Gorge. Then she could potentially have it swapped out for her arm. And for the first time since we scaled this plateau, we get a wide panoramic sweeping shot of the canyonlands all around this mesa, this plateau. And Marco, Berger, and Alice are standing near the edge enough so that we can see these sprawling canyonlands in all of their glory. And they are huge. We know the direction of the particular plateau that is of interest to Marco, what is depicted on his familial map as an area in this room with the glyph that is also on Berger's small rookling body, and the hunter that we encountered in the crackways warned Marco, Berger, and Alice to stay away from. We know the direction of that, and when the camera turns and Marco is looking in that direction, we see something strange. A lot of these canyonlands are just baked in hot sun, and it is dry, and it is sweltering. However, when the group looks over at that particular plateau in that direction, it definitely gets that kind of mirage sort of visual trick of the eye. It's like that, uh, it looks like rippling waters um, kind of surround this plateau. And strangely enough, maybe not clouds, but almost like a mist or something obscuring is kind of present all around the top of this plateau. So you can't really see where the top of it is. And from this distance, they cannot see the glyph. However, both Marco's map and the information given by Drea, the cartographer, the leader back at the Hunter's Guild, confirm that this is where Marco needs to go. Now, in a previous episode, I think we determined that this was only one exploration phase beyond where the Hunter's Guild quest was located, so we're going to start this episode with a good old-fashioned exploration phase.
Now, despite how easily that battle on top of the mesa with the rook went, we do still have one wound lingering from our previous battle with the bandits out in the desert. So Marco's exploration score, as opposed to being its normal five, is only a four at the moment. They are still a little battered and bruised and not traveling at the speed that they potentially could have in the past. So we're going to flip four cards for this exploration phase, which will hopefully get us to this plateau. Let's see what we flip. A Jack of Diamonds, and we know that face cards are usually big deals, but we flipped a Jack before, so I think that's going to be an item. A Queen of Spades, so okay, our first face card on an exploration phase that I think is going to be a battle. And then a Six of Diamonds and a Seven of Diamonds. Wow, three diamonds on this one. Okay, let's go consult the exploration phase charts and see what it is we've got to deal with. In ascending order of cards, we have our Six of Diamonds, another adventurer like yourself, garbed in rook armor and armed as one of the classes. But what do they want? Are they here to help take down a rook? If so, what do they want in return? Or are their intentions darker? If you fight them, create a human opponent for your combat phase. And because it is a diamond, they are not friendly. Oh boy. The Seven of Diamonds says, A screech from the sky, the beat of heavy wings, gargoyles. You thought they were just stories you were told as a child, but apparently not. It grabs you by the shoulders and starts to carry you upward. Oh, Diamond, it takes you up to its nest in the rafters of the ceiling. There's no fighting a gargoyle. Okay, well, this is a complete... Oh, gosh. This is a total twist that, no matter what I thought I was planning for this session, it has gone out the window, or up to the rafters, I guess we should say. Our other two cards are a Jack of Diamonds, and a Queen of Spades. So the Jack of Diamonds says you find an item, consult the item table to discover what you find, and the Queen says I encounter a medium-sized rook. Okay, this is going to be an interesting exploration phase to have to parse out here, but I am up to the challenge. Let's flip first for our item card. We got an Ace of Hearts, Treasure for Trading. So, okay, so we have one more treasure. Let me mark that down. All right, one abstract treasure. We will get to that in a second, but first we have to deal with the fact that there's a medium rook, a gargoyle, and a not-friendly NPC. Okay, I think I got it. The journey down from the plateau was slow going, but the recent victory and the potential ahead left Marco, Berger, and Alice in high spirits. The trek across the canyonlands from the plateau where they just neutralized the rook to the plateau where Marco's familial map held secrets went smoothly. The trio traveled along a dried-up riverbed and followed a path that was surprisingly safe. However, as they got closer and approached the plateau with the glyph prominently featured on its side, they realized just how incredibly massive this plateau truly was. And as they approached, they found strange features in the dunes and the sands of the canyonlands around here. Half scavenged and destroyed rook parts and pieces of machinery that were clearly once used by Folks of the Runelands, hunters, maybe bandits, things like that. All kind of half-buried, scattered all throughout. It's almost like a minefield 
as they're approaching this plateau. However, sticking out of one of these half-submerged rook bodies, something caught Alice's eye. She scrambles up a dune and slides down into a half-exposed, like, broken open piece of a rook. And she goes, hey, look at this. This is a lucky find. And she starts rooting through and throwing some things out and whatnot. And this is going to be our treasure that we have found. Alice is rooting around in this half-broken open rook. And she pulls from the wreckage and she goes, oh, this ought to fetch a pretty penny. And she's holding up some, let's say it's like a valuable piece of machinery or something that can be used to maybe attach arms or something that she'd be familiar with as the armed class. And as she's doing that, Marco and Berger are looking out. Marco and Berger, both now users of rumble magic, feel that movement coming through, coming towards their direction. And both of their attentions are immediately turned to another person who is making their way towards the group. Nervous, they stand there defensively, and before long they find, cresting over a dune, a sand dune, in a, it almost looks like a giant kind of mechanical fish, but it has retractable arms that can also be used on firmer ground. And this is a mounted class, which is particularly good at making their way through the dune lands, like these these dunes within the canyon lands. And they approach Marco and Berger without having seen Alice yet, and they say, Hey, what are you doing out here? It's dangerous. Are you crazy? Look, I don't want to have to hurt you, but I'm giving you ten seconds to turn around and get out of here, or I'm going to make the decision for you. And Marco and Berger look at each other, kind of surprised at the hostility. And it, that's right at the moment when Alice kind of pulls up and goes, Ooh, this ought to fetch a pretty penny. And the man goes, are you crazy? And then Alice jumps down, and as she jumps down and slides down the dune, the half-submerged rook stands, and we get a medium-sized rook encounter here, along with this not-so-friendly NPC. So we're going to fight a medium rook and a not-so-friendly NPC in a combat phase right now. However, I'm going to also use the gargoyle card during this encounter. So this encounter is going to get absolutely crazy. We have our combat score back to its maximum of three, and we get the one extra card from Alice being a helper. And we're going to flip four cards for the enemies as well, one for the human NPC, the mounted, and one for the medium rook. So let's go to combat. Once again, we're going to create our opponents. So the first and easiest one is we're going to create the other person. We only flip two cards for creating human opponents, so we're going to flip one card to determine their intention, and the other card, which is going to be their weapon type. So the first card is a club, which says steal from you. Interesting. So maybe they see an opportunity while we are scrambling around, or maybe what Alice just took out of there is something that would be valuable to this person, so that could be interesting. And then their weapon type is a three, so they have a ranged attack. Makes sense from their mounted, they're very mobile, so maybe they just have something like a crossbow or a bow. Next, we are going to create our rook. So we have a medium rook, which they say is roughly the size of a car or small building. I think it's in the middle of those. Maybe it was small building sized, but we did say that it was like half broken open. So I think this is like 
almost like zombie rook, right? Like it's like missing a whole portion of its rocky, um, typical, they look like parts of a castle. So they look like turrets or battlements or something like that. So I think that this is like missing a huge chunk out of it. And maybe it even only has like one arm. Um, so let's see, we have a medium sized rook, which is going to, I believe have a power of three yeah a combat score of three but as always with rooks we need to flip a few cards to determine what it looks like so we're flipping for its magic type which is diamond it is ice type interesting we are flipping for its body type we got a 10 so it is defensive ice type hmm we did say this is kind of like a minefield maybe oh maybe the bandits out here kind of took them down and then rigged them for this kind of thing they're like a defense system. Okay. Next, we are going to flip two more cards. One for its attack type, so like its weapon type. And then another for the treasure, the reward that we would get for defeating it. And that is in addition to the treasure that we found within it. So it is an eight for its weapon type. So it is melee, defensive. Yeah, I think that the whole point of this thing is to detain anybody getting close. And then lastly... The weapon that we, or the item that we would receive from defeating it is a heart. So, oh, ooh, a rookling. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think that's the first time we flipped rookling for a reward. So, as always, I'm going to flip our four cards right from the get-go. And then I will flip cards and determine what happens from there, how we're going to do it. So our four cards for combat are, ooh, yes, a queen of diamonds, a king of spades, a king of hearts, oh my goodness, and a six of hearts for Alice. Marco and Berger are stacked. We are undefeatable right now. Holy cow. And then I guess for the first round of combat, I'm going to flip two cards, and it'll be one for the NPC, which is the only card they will get, and then the first card for the rook. So the NPC gets a nine of clubs. And the Rook gets an Eight of Spades. So just a quick reminder, uh, when we are fighting, the suit of the card matters as well as the number on the card. So our Diamond, our Queen of Diamonds, is a creative attack. Our King of Spades is a unarmed attack. Our King of Hearts is a magic attack. And then the clubs that the NPC flipped would be a weapon attack. So... Let's think about how this battle begins. The Rook comes to life behind Alice, and we see the dune that it was partially submerged in. Just all of the sand start kind of just leaking out of all of the open maybe windows and little bits of it that have been broken off as the sand just kind of leaks out of it, and it stands to its full height. And Alice turns around and just goes, oh, did I do that? And the NPC says, oh, my goodness, look what you did. And he raises his crossbow and he says, put that back. And he takes a shot at Alice. But I think that we're going to use our magic attack, which is going to be we're going to say that this is we're going to say this is Marco using the helm. All of the shifting sands and all of this stuff and the sensitivity that Marco has received from this helm, he's gotten very used to using it to kind of sense that seismography, that tremor sense that we've been calling it. And when this mounted NPC starts moving their way into position so they can take a shot with their crossbow at Alice, I think that Marco is getting used to his rumble magic and basically 
uses it to manipulate the sand beneath this NPC's mounted, their mount, and basically flips it. And uh, it's like capsizing a canoe, right? So this guy just, oh, and all of a sudden that sand just kind of buries this NPC. So for the moment, that NPC, we've just taken them out of the fight. So that is a win there. However, that still leaves the rook itself, whose ice, magic, and defensive typing, I think like we said, these things are rigged to basically just trap anybody trying to get close. Which says a lot about these bandits. Clearly they're not just low-level smugglers. These people are working with something very powerful, very dangerous. And again, we know Yolaris is a spy sent by the Hunter's Guild. He's kind of an inside inside man, if you will, trying to take it down. So, yeah, this is clearly bigger than Marco and Alice understand. But to them, it is a mystery on a map that needs to be solved. The Eight of Spades that the Rook flipped is going to represent a unarmed attack. So I think that what it's going to do is it's going to attempt to use its two big stony hands to just kind of clasp around Alice and grab her, basically hold her and keep her from going anywhere. But we have our own counter to that. I think I'm going to pit the Queen of Diamonds up against this, and that is going to be the creative attack. And I think that Alice kind of turns seeing this thing about to clasp its big, massive stony hands around her. And Berger is going to use their own ice magic and is going to their little rookling hands condense and they have those two shields. Berger runs over to Alice, holds out their two hands and two big ice shields kind of come out from them on either side of Berger and Alice. And when the two hands start to try and clasp, Berger is holding them apart. Like every, you know, like those superhero things where they're just using their arms to, to keep the jaws from crunching uh, down on them. Like things like that. It's, it's one of those struggles. However, at the moment, uh, it is not completely subdued. We do need to win the majority of these card flips. And this rook has two card flips left. So we're going to flip. It is a four of diamonds, which is a creative attack. So I think that this is an ice-type rook, and its arms are now held apart by Berger's small ice magic. But this also has ice magic, so its creative attack is going to be, okay, I'm going to use that and basically create an ice sphere within which Berger and Alice cannot get out of. So as that ice magic begins forming around that duo, I'm actually going to use Alice's six of hearts here. Ooh, this is a magic attack, though. I don't think Alice really has a magical attack. So, never mind. I think Alice's card... Actually, you know what? I think that we could do that. We're going to say Alice has a magic attack in that she's being protected by Berger, who's using magic. And I think that what she's going to do is she's going to, once again, just attach that big, heavy, like, cannonball and just say ready to make it rumble, and Berger smiles as they let go of their ice shields and empower Alice's cannonball to basically sonically explode, and they just shatter this ice ball that has been attempted to be formed around them. And all of the ice just kind of falls into the sand around them. Now, however, two arms are still right around it. I think the arms kind of 
flinch back and give them a little bit of space, but this rook is not done yet. We do still have one pretty much unbeatable card here by Marco. But let's see what the last card the rook flips is. It is a seven of hearts, another magical attack. And I think that this time it's just going to attempt to spear, icicle spear. Although this is a defensive rook, I think it's going to attempt to split the two of them up with an ice wall right in between them. But Marco has his king of spades, which is an unarmed attack. And I think that Marco is just going to run forward and... Hmm... Unarmed attack, you know what, it's an attack, but I think that what he's going to do is he's just going to grab Berger and Alice by, like, the back of the, the collar on the back of the neck and just drag them out of the way so this ice wall goes up and separates what the Rook intended to separate the two, but now they're on one side. And I think that because of this, Marco's going to quickly use their rumble magic to create a wall that they are now hiding underneath, and this Rook is going to be completely unaware of where they'd gone. Now we defeated this rook. We are not going to get the rookling that we normally would have gotten. I got all excited about it, but then I remembered, oh no, there's a gargoyle. <laughs> and I think that that's what happens, is all of this commotion has caught the attention of a gargoyle. Oh, I'm so... <laughs> Alright, so... I don't think we're going to be able to actually explore this plateau just yet, because this gargoyle is going to take us up to the rafters. Let me read from the Roomlands book about gargoyles. It is not known why gargoyles sometimes grab people, or what they really are, but they never attack villages or cities. They only pick off unsuspecting adventurers who aren't paying enough attention to the skies above them. What are they? What do they want? We're going to discover that together. But one thing, the gargoyles are made of stone, like rooks with some castellated features, but mostly they have the look of those classic gargoyles from architecture. They come in a few different shapes and types, each having different behaviors and mannerisms. They do not seem to have internal structures like rooks, rooms, doorways, and are generally much smaller, although some larger gargoyles have been spotted. They do not seem to have rookstones or use magic of any kind. They don't seem interested in attacking or fighting with humans, but they will grab them from the ground from time to time and deposit them in the rafters for unknown purposes. And that is exactly what happens to Marco, Berger, and Alice. I think this particular gargoyle is quite large, and it uses both of its hands to grab Marco and Alice. And Marco and Alice use their hands to grab onto Berger. So we have a funny little <laughs> gargoyles holding the humans, humans holding the rookling, as they are unexpectedly yoinked from the ground that they have just created to hide from that rook. And we just hear screams of terror as they are pulled up into the sky. And all of a sudden, that plateau that looked so massive just minutes ago is falling down beneath them. And the canyon lands from this height look like small cracks in dry earth. However, I will say that I think that, you know what, actually, let's consult the Oracle. I'm going to flip a card and say, because I was actually thinking this, I think that that mirage, that mist, whatever it is that is obscuring the plateau itself, I think that there's maybe like a structural beam, like a column that comes out of this plateau with the glyph in it and heads up to the rafters. So I'm going to flip a card and see if actually 
that's why the gargoyles are even here is because technically there's a column that leads right to the rafters. As always, a reminder, when we consult the oracles, we're just flipping one card. Red is the answer is no. Black is the answer is yes. And there are degrees within those. I'm flipping and we did get a black card. So yes, it is a column on this plateau. But I flipped a two of spades, which says yes, but with a complication. So I think that, hmm. Okay, I got it. This is great. I'm going to relate it to my calling because, again, we always need to bring, if you're not sure, always bring in your character's calling. This is a story about your character. So I think that there's a glyph in the side of this plateau. This plateau is basically the structural base of a column that goes all the way up to the rafters. That column, maybe it's magical. Maybe that's why there's that mirage. Maybe it's emitting like a mist or something like that. And actually, that makes sense because when I describe what the rafters look like, we can totally justify it. The rafters are dense, lush jungles of an ecosystem. So I think that maybe the roots that are coming down from whatever's on this ecosystem are definitely letting out moisture. And in the heat of the canyonlands, they turn into like almost clouds, vapors, fog, etc., mist. But the complication, I think, is that typically these humans, the bandits that are using this, there's something in that plateau that is incredibly valuable and incredibly dangerous. And the whole point of why the Hunter's Guild sent Yalaris there, Marco, Allison Berger are not going to find out about that anytime soon. But I think that the column itself, the complication is that humans can't use it. Something about it is inaccessible to them. I kind of want to say it has to do with Marco's key. Don't forget, he has a familial map, but the other part of his calling was that that map came with a key. There are five glyphs in five different rooms. We just found the first, which is the base of a column leading to the rafters. So maybe the key has something to do with it. Again, that's the complication. I don't think it can be used by anybody, including even Marco at this point. But that doesn't matter because this gargoyle is taking us up to the rafters, a whole new ecosystem. We have left the Canyonlands behind. We cannot go back to Rust Gorge and get our treasures and gear up. We are just being pulled against our will to a scary new place. Oh boy, everybody, this is crazy. So reading a little further on, we're going to be doing obviously some exploring of the rafters. As the gargoyle ascends the column up into the rafters, the thick mist and cloud cover that typically prevent anybody from the roomlands looking up and seeing the rafters clearly, they go right into it, right through it, and on the other side is something that defies expectation and instills wonder in Marco, Alice, and Berger as emerging from the other side of this cloud. They've come out of a hole, a seeming hole in the ground, into a lush, dense jungle. The gargoyle continues to fly upwards into the trees towards a canopy that Marco, Alice, and Berger have no idea what to expect from. And in their sudden awe and fear as they are 
being carried and dangled from these gargoyles' hands as the, it is swooping around branches and vines and the like. I think that part of me, you know what, let's consult the oracles again. I'm going to flip a card. Is this gargoyle bringing the party to its nest? And I think that the way I'm going to phrase this is, so if yes, it'll bring us all the way to the nest. If no, I'm going to say that Marco, Berger, and Alice managed to wiggle their way free and fall out of the gargoyle's grip. So we flipped a card. It is black. We got a six of clubs, which is a black card right in the middle. So that is just a flat yes. So that means that Marco, Berger, and Alice are about to be dropped into a gargoyle nest. Oh, no. But this is actually, there's a silver lining, as always. In the section in the Roomlands book about exploring the rafters, it says here the mystery of the gargoyles and why they do what they do is outlined later in the book. To unlock this information, I need to gain three clues by surviving and observing gargoyles in their home environment. When I have three unique clues, my character will need to head to a nest to learn the final piece of information. So I think that we'll have that bit of information, but it won't make sense until we gather those three clues, and then I can go back to a nest and uncover the mystery. Also, there are special exploration phase tables for exploring the rafters, so I think that we're going to do that, and that'll be where we end this session. It's going to be a little shorter, but it's a busy week, so. Marco, Berger, and Alice are dropped into... They're called gargoyle nests, but they're not like any nests birds ever make. These are strange piles of stony rubble, half covered in mosses and vines and strange vegetation nestled into crooks of a tree branch in the canopy of immensely tall trees. The stones themselves create a safe, small area within this tree, and the gargoyle perches on one of these rocks. Let's see, I'm going to flip another oracle card to see if there are other gargoyles in this nest. I flipped a nine of spades, which is a yes. Just a plain old yes. So there are other gargoyles here, and I think that this is a great opportunity to discuss the three different types of gargoyles. There may be others as well, but the book outlines three main types. We were grabbed by one of the gnarled. These are the gargoyles you've seen in all the myths and illustrations, classic humanoid with wings and castellated heads. Then there are the swift. These gargoyles look sleek and fast, appear more like dragons than humanoid creatures, long pointed snake-like bodies with strange features. They almost look like they have a tower roof tip for a head, so it almost looks like a beak or a drill. And then lastly, there are the hulks. Much larger than the other types, more dominating and genuinely quite terrifying, even to the most hardened adventurers. They don't seem to fly as well as the others. They have small wings compared to their massive bodies. So these are the bruisers, I think. I think in this nest, there's maybe a smaller gnarled and maybe a couple of swifts. I don't think there's a hulk in here. But at the moment, the gargoyle deposits Marco, Alice, and Berger and just kind of hangs out. The smaller gargoyles are looking curiously at the newcomers, especially Berger, who is at least rook and made of stone like them. But our three heroes at the moment are mostly trying the don't move, maybe they won't notice us 
style. All right. Well, I think the safest thing to do here is I'm not going to say we can get a rest in, which is going to recover our last exploration phase score. But I do think that there's going to have to be some form of diversion, which is going to allow our protagonists to get out of this nest and begin exploring the rafters in an exploration phase. Now, before I do that, though, I think I'm going to, since this is a whole new area and has completely, not completely, but has significantly derailed the plans for which Marco and Berger and Alice were traveling the Canyonlands and the Roomlands, I'm going to consult that Oracle chart for the story generator and just kind of let it maybe we'll see if it's interesting and we'll see if maybe we can kind of come up with a small arc for something up here in the rafters. So we're going to flip three cards and it's going to be three cards. The first will be the inciting incident. The second will be the subject and the third will be the twist. So our first card is a two of diamonds. So it says our storytelling, our insight is to assist. Our subject is a nine of diamonds, which is a meeting of cultists, assist a meeting of cultists. And then the twist is four of clubs, explosion. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, okay. Let's think about what that could mean. Oh, okay. Ready to get real wild? Marco's familial map and key. Why would it have been so secret? Maybe Marco's parents were part of some kind of cult. And I don't mean this in the negative connotation way of cult. I think that in a world like Colossal and the Roomlands, these rooks and everything like that, there may be a group of people who've been disbelieved about certain things because the current way of dismantling rooks and creating things has been going relatively well. And there's always profit to be made. People who are making treasure and coin off of this kind of thing like the system at the moment. So maybe Marco's parents... Maybe these glyphs have something to do with the bigger picture that everyone has re-contextualized in the public eye as something crazy, right? So how does that relate to up here in the rafters? Well, we did say that the glyph on that plateau was the base of a column which led up here. We did say maybe Marco's key is the way to use that column to ascend to the rafters. And above the rafters in the world of Colossal are the battlements, which is basically the roof, the outside of the Colossal itself, which is where people are said to go when they pass on. But if we could blow a hole in the ceiling, we could access that area. Oh my goodness. There is a white lotus like organization that is attempting to map the roomlands find critical locations where you can ascend or access the rafters and the potentially all the way up to the battlements and we're going to blow a hole in the ceiling wow now we just got to find the cultists that are up here in the rafters Oh my gosh, and people who get grabbed by gargoyles, right, and taken up to the rafters, if any of them have ever come back down, you know they'd be treated like crazy people who are like, I was abducted by aliens. Oh my gosh, 
this is awesome. This just got really weird. <laughs> and this doesn't make the smugglers within that glyph plateau with Yolaris trying to figure it out from the inside any less interesting because what's underneath that column? What's in there? Oh my gosh. We just unlocked super high conspiracy level. All right. Well, we're going to flip cards for an exploration phase. And I think what we're going to do is I'm going to flip the cards. We're going to read what they mean. And I'm going to take the time to think about how to weave this into the exploration phase that we will start next time. Our current exploration score is still only four. So we're going to flip four cards up here in the rafters. See how we get out and see what that means for us as we explore this new crazy rafter jungle. All right, here goes four cards. A king of diamonds. Great. Already face card. That's got to be dangerous. Oh, no. A two of hearts, a ten of diamonds and a ten of hearts. Oh, gosh. Okay, once again, ascending order. Our two of hearts says an animal to hunt for food. The animals on the rafters are a whole new breed. They seem to be insectoid in nature, but larger than insects you see down in the roomlands. The heart means that it is a dog-sized ant creature. Uh, then we get our tens. We have a ten of diamonds and a ten of hearts. You come across a large cave in the towering vertical mountains that is clearly a nest of gargoyles. You can't enter here until you have found at least three clues on your encounters in the rafters. When you have found three clues and you return here... Okay. Well, we got two tens. So I find two nests? And another thing that I should mention is that the rafters, while being a jungle, the columns do continue up, but they slant, so that way they meet at the middle, right? Like a roof. So those are the, the mountains that they create, and there are beams across and within them and things like that. So, alright, I find a couple of gargoyle nests. I guess that's not the worst thing I could have flipped. And then lastly, the king. Gotta go up here. Oh, queen king. Draw one additional card for this encounter phase. And I flipped an eight of clubs. So, skylight. You reach a point in the rafter where you can see a window in the ceiling. This must lead to the battlements. If this is a ground floor room, the window must lead out to a lower part of the battlements. Either way, you can connect to the battlements from this area, and Clubs says the glass is broken and the window can be traversed. Assist, cultists, explosion, to the battlements. We just found a window that has been burst open. Maybe we witness the explosion. That's where we have to end it. Alright guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of Playing With Myself on the Internet with Colossal. This game just continues to take the craziest turns just from flipping cards and having an absolute blast. This is crazy. I'm, I'm so glad I started doing this. I hope that you are all enjoying it, and I hope that it is inspiring you to go out and take a chance and play some solo role-playing games. As always, if you like what we do, please rate us on whatever podcast apps or whatever you use. I think if you still go to... I don't even know iTunes doesn't exist anymore, but I guess Apple Podcasts is a big one as far as rating for visibility and whatnot. But no matter what you listen to us on, thank you. If you 
like what we do. Um, I think our social media has been pretty quiet lately around the holidays and whatnot, but follow us on all the social medias at DMs After Dark. If you want to reach out to us and tell us something that you'd like to hear us play, hear us talk about in a modified roles, or just generally chat with us about something you're interested in, ask our opinion on games you're interested in or anything like that, a way to handle something at your own home table, do it. Email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. Once again, I am not at all apologetic for anything that happened in this episode of playing with myself on the internet, despite the name being something I should probably apologize for. So until next time, take an unexpected flight. Bye. Bye.